Hi there. Welcome and thank you for listening in. I'm super stoked to have you with me. My name is Philip Hartman and Being Dad is a show for dads. I meet and speak to unique dads, asking them to impart their wisdom and to share their experiences as dads with us. The reason for being dad is my own story. I became a father five times within 13 months. Yes, five times, 13 months. I was seriously underprepared and I struggled to find inspiring content for myself. By meeting and connecting with these men, I'm trying to learn all there is about being a dad. We cover heart-to-heart topics between two dads and our aim is to inspire other fathers. And with this, hopefully we can make a positive impact on families around the world. The best advice I can give myself as a dad is more patience. Um, It's easy to think that I will be a patient or I am patient, but a few things test your patience like little kids and um, I think preparing outcomes, bringing back the visualization, if a certain scenario happens, if my little boy throws a tantrum, instead of just reacting, have a pre-visualized and pre-prepared outcome of what you want to, to happen. And I think the patience and bringing the visualization together is is something that I'm going to definitely, I haven't done it before, but I can bring those two together now and see how it can make a big difference in, in how it goes. My next dad, Conrad Stoltz, aka The Caveman, is an exceptional triathlete from South Africa. He went from shy Afrikaans boy to multiple world champion. He's a powerful man and a humble dad of three kids, Sina, who's four and a half, Sander, two and a half, and Zoe, who's five months. In my mind, Conrad is the definition of hardcore. He is super underground, and I'm very thankful that my friend Steven, who himself is an amazing triathlete, introduced us. I had never heard of Conrad before our session, but just to give you some perspective, he is a seven times cross triathlon world champion. He's a 10 times Xterra USA series champion. He's a two times Olympian athlete. And in his career, he's won 52 times the Xterra race. He won the Chicago triathlon with 8,000 participants. And he's the five times African triathlon champion and five times South African triathlon champion and some other crazy results. I think it's safe to say that Conrad is a hard man. Conrad truly started from the bottom. The first 10 years of his career, he pretty much lived hand to mouth, sleeping on park benches or in police stations simply because he, as a South African athlete, straight out of apartheid and without a sponsor, couldn't actually afford to compete on a level globally. Spending no money was his hack and he literally had to win races to eat. (laughs) What a motivation. Conrad's dad was a cattle farmer in South Africa and he comes from a proud Afrikaans family. Conrad says his own dad was his true icon and for him he ultimately learned everything that was essential and any essential life lesson really for his success later in life from his dad. Conrad is a master of visualization and affirmation techniques, and so he's able to put himself into a different place emotionally. In other words, he is able to disassociate his mind from the physical pain and enter flow or peak state during competition. I think that's the only reason he could have been so successful anyways. In this session, we explore how this ability can be applied to being a parent. Conrad opens up about his own upbringing, his personal fears and struggles as a dad, 
an athlete and husband and his journey and struggles of retirement from competing after 34 years when his child was born and becoming an entrepreneur. And dad. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were being a dad is an endurance sport all by itself. Have more patience. Be vulnerable and show emotion. Nobody told us it's going to be hard. Prepare for outcomes. Visualize. Have a prepared outcome for what you want to happen for any given situation. You have to also visualize the failure. What you put in is what you get out. Perseverance, suffering and connecting with people. If you follow your passions, it's very easy to commit, suffer and succeed. Teachable moments. I love that one. During play, if a teachable moment arises, stop everything in a playful way, explain what you need to explain and carry on playing. Very powerful concept. And an amazing quote from the caveman, racing is even harder if you're being chased. <laughs> the session is super fun. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, on a final note, guys, many of us know that I'm based in Cape Town and we are currently in one of the hardest lockdowns globally. The result of the lockdown is that the economy has collapsed and COVID-19 has brought hunger and sadly in some cases violence. Together with some amazing NGOs around the world, we have started an initiative called Together for Cape Town and our aim is to raise enough money for 3 million meals for underprivileged kids before the year is out. If you'd like to support this effort, please visit our website togetherforcapetown.com togetherforcapetown.com where you can donate money for food. Thank you so much. Enjoy the session with Conrad Stolz. Conrad, I'm super stoked to sit with you here in beautiful Stellenbosch. Um, I was re really um, fortunate to meet your wife and your kids just now. That was really nice to set the tone and get the, get the vibes with you. And um, I've been looking forward to sit with you. Stephen told me a lot about you. And of course, mm -hmm. I know about you, uh, your career as an athlete. And today I'm looking forward to speak to Conrad, the dad, And uh, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much for coming all the way to Stellenbosch. Uh, we always have an inside, or not an inside, it's an open joke that uh, Stellenbosch and Cape Town is two different countries. And for us Stellenbosch people to go to Cape Town, you need a passport and a visa. Yeah. <laughs> and we make a, a massive trip of it, especially when you, when you have three little kids like we do. Yeah. Uh, going to Cape Town is, is not something we do often. And when we do it, it takes massive preparation to, to, to go there. So thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. Um, also, I'm honored to be on the show. Uh, as a as a as a as an athlete now being a dad it's difficult to um uh, i was an experienced athlete and now i'm a, it feels like a newbie dad yeah. so it's going to be a learning <laughs> uh, all over a again. learning curve for me as well but uh, thank you very much uh people who don't know me it's i come from a very small sport uh, triathlon um the sport sporting bug actually bit me with through my parents when i was a little boy my parents were both big into sport and they really enjoyed the sports and outdoors and uh, i grew up an only child so uh, my parents was a massive influence in my sporting career and we just loved being outdoors doing adventurous stuff and um yeah i just loved every single sport primary school i did every sport there was and um i fell in love with with triathlon at the age of 13 because of the adventure that i could, uh, i saw a newspaper article on it and it was just quite a new sport then hey? it was brand new it was 1988 so it was yeah. even in the states it was very new then and uh, the sense of adventure where you actually first you're a swimmer and then you become a cyclist and you immediately after after that become a runner 
really appealed to me because by then, because of the pressure we had in primary school for running, I was I was one of the sports I was more involved in and better at was was running. And uh, we had a very serious coach who, who made us do a lot of track work. So running around the track, just round and round and round and round. All tracks are same everywhere in the world. You always go the same way around. The distance is always exactly the same. So even as a 10, 12, 13 year old, I was already getting bored and yeah. burnt out from the pressure of having to perform and having to train and always going around the same track that was quite monotonous at the time. So I think it's um, the sport led me towards this triathlon thing. I couldn't even swim 25 meters. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I went to um, to the to the swim squad, and they told me you're gonna have to join a swim squad. So I joined the swim squad, and uh, I couldn't swim 25 meters. I had to hang on to the lane rope halfway through. No ways. So I really started from the bottom and had to learn to swim. And uh, but I loved the sport immediately. So the sense of adventure really appealed to me. Um, and then uh, into high school, I I left all the other sports that I did before and just focused on this triathlon thing. I became a total a tri geek, like they like they called. And um, by the time I finished high school and it was time to choose choose a career, the sport was such a passion of mine that uh, choosing a career seemed like a very distant and also intimidating thing. Like I didn't really know what I wanted to do in, yeah. in the next life. I was looking at stuff like industrial design or something creative. Um, but just stepping into university and studying and so on seemed so far away. And I was quite a good athlete at that age. And um, the year after high school, I was invited by a friend to go to France to compete. And it was in uh, 1991. So it was just after, actually 1992 was my first year overseas. I'm a in 1991. And they invited me to go to Europe with them. And it's the first year the boycotts were lifted and South Africa was, or South Africans were able to compete internationally. That so was lucky for you, hey? Yes, Because yes. literally South Africans in apartheid, you're referring to apartheid times for all that's, our that's international right, yes, listeners. Yes, yes. We're not allowed to compete in the Olympics nor in international events, is it? Any kind of international events. Yeah. So the South Africans who did kind of sneak out before, they claimed to be Australians or Brits or <laughs> they would put on funny accents to be able to do just low-level club triathlon in, really? in, in Europe at the time. Wow. So... Um, and uh, so I was invited overseas and I just absolutely fell in love with the sport in at, in France at the time. It was massive. The sport was really big. And uh, for someone coming from a small country where it felt like um, I was almost one of the only athletes, like you train on your own and you do everything kind of on your own. I mean, yeah. you go there, it's um, lots of races, lots of athletes, and it just became paradise to me. And... Um, so that was the beginning and my parents probably thought that I was going to just do one year of this triathlon thing and yeah, see what it's like and then come back come and then he's going to study and <laughs> have, a, have a normal life and so on. Yeah. And it, was, it wasn't meant to be. So I'd, I came back and I just really, really loved the sport. And I remember after a couple of years, my dad pulled me aside and he's like, so when are you going to start making a living from the sport? Because every time you go overseas... You come back with a bag, nothing but a bag full of dirty laundry. Um, you don't have a house, you don't have a car, you don't have a job, you don't have yeah. uh, qualifications like your like your peers. And um, you're just an athlete. And at the time, I was li literally living from hand to mouth. The money you win on the weekend, you eat during the week, and next weekend you have to compete again. You have to again. win again. That's yeah, a good uh, to be able to eat. incentive. To, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, already... So uh, but just to... For all the listeners that don't know, you then obviously advanced to become a super successful athlete. You were in Olympics twice. You did a seven times mm. world champion later than in cross triathlon, hey? Yeah, that's right. And you were African champion in triathlon, yes. I think 10 times. Yes. Yep. Wow, amazing. <laughs> yeah, the first 10 years of my professional career, I wasn't 
I wasn't getting great results, and that's when I was in France as well. I was uh, I was I was self coached, and yeah. I think it's the type of person who also is drawn to triathlons, likes to achieve. So every training session has to be hard. Every weekend you want to compete. Um, you don't want to rest. You, so I was just completely driving myself into the ground and wasn't resting and recovering enough. And I didn't have a scientific training program. Yeah. So the first 10 years of my career wasn't that great. And then as the Olympics approached in 2000 in Sydney was the first time triathlon was an Olympic game okay. in the Olympic sports. So, um, and as this approached, I, I had a, a, a coach, um, Libby Barrel, South African coach, and then my career immediately took a massive turn. Yeah. And that's when I discovered um, the, the, the Olympic triathlon, just to make a long story short, the Olympic triathlon in Sydney was, the Olympics is every athlete's dream and you, you spend a whole career um, living towards this one dream. But then what I wasn't prepared for is when the games are over yeah. and it's time to come home, the, the letdown, the emotional dip, people call it the post-Olympic um, yeah, post stress. Um, it's it's massive. Like you worked for this big thing, and now the big thing is kind of gone. And especially at that age and at that level of racing, another four years feels like a lifetime away. Um, and also being a South African, I mean, the the SASCOC at the moment it's called um, the South African Governing Body. I can't remember its name. Is there's no there's no a lot of not a lot of support. There's hardly any any money in it. So when you do it, you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, my dad was a uh, that time he was a cattle farmer, so he let me have a few cows on the farm. So when I really needed to fly to Japan to compete in a World Cup, I would sell a cow. Um, really? So a lot of it was, was self-funded and sleeping on couches and eating nothing but uh, cereal for a week when I'm overseas in Japan. You can't afford food, that kind yeah. of stuff. So it was really, really, really tough. But it so shaped your view and your attitude as an athlete as well, right? Definitely. You, you're definitely known for that. Yes, that's, that's that part of the thing where the caveman comes from. Yeah. <laughs> What's the caveman, quickly, to explain to people? Um, the caveman, it kind of happened. I, uh, it comes from a few few different areas. My, I was working in my dad's workshop once, and as he walked in, I broke one of his tools, and he said, you're such a caveman, everything you touch breaks. <laughs> 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 um, it also relates to the racing style. I'm a lot bigger and heavier than, than my competitors, so... Um, the way I attacked mountain bike courses is typically straight. Like the technical parts was my was my strong point. So I would you can tend to go straight and hard yeah. and fast. And I was heavy on equipment. I was um, sponsored by Specialized Bicycles for 16 years. And the joke was, is uh, if Conrad couldn't break it, then it's caveman proof. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's ready to put on the market. So a lot of prototype um, uh, equipment was sent to me and I would test it. And if it, if it held, then it was good for sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also I could sleep, like I literally I've slept in a police station in France before because I, I didn't have a place to stay, sleep the night before a race. So I could sleep on, on a park bench or in a police station and still win the race the next day. So I think it's just a level of toughness that kind of came with it. Do so you, men you mentioned your dad twice and that's mm. obviously the topic, family. And yeah. Is that, do you attribute a lot of this to your father and his upbringing? I mean, he's a cattle farmer I would have, in South Africa mm. at the time in the transition from apartheid mm. to after apartheid, mm. um, it must have been interesting times. Is the is the easiest, probably the least way to put it. Mm. Um, what can you can you attribute stuff that you have today or that makes you, makes you today as a as a dad to him at the time? Definitely. I mean, we're all influenced by your father, whether you want to or not, and. Uh, 
yeah, I was lucky to have had amazing parents and my dad was was really an icon, not only in my eyes and but in a lot of other people's eyes. He was he started out as a teacher and he, he ended up he went through the um intelligence service, he worked there for a long time and mm-hmm. then he ended up a, a cattle farmer. But he was uh the way he conducted himself, um He's a big, proud, strong guy. Yeah. And um, we did sports, a lot of sports together, and it was always pushing. He was, when when we trained together, it was always a race. There was only one yeah. speed, and that was flat out. <laughs> flat out. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessarily gr- a good thing if, you, yeah. if you're training for performance. It's, it's not the right way to train, but it was my dad's character. Um, yeah. like, like when he does something, he, d- he, he did it f- flat out and, and really hard, and he was very proud. I and was going to say, there's a lot of pride and, 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 and honor in the Afrikaner. Yes. traditional yes. African and it's families. Even, even you're German, so even you know yeah. Stolz, our last name is, is proud, means proud. Yeah, Stolz means proud. And then, uh, but also, so I learned those things from my dad, being tough and being strong and um, perseverance. I mean, my parents let me suffer when I needed it, yeah. um, which I'm really thankful for. I mean, now that I'm a dad, I know you can't do everything for your kids. You need to let them suffer at times. And for, this, for the right reasons to learn lessons. Otherwise, they'll just be these coddled, pampered little kids when they grow up. You no, know, a lot, so of, a lot of interesting dads say this. You need to yeah. l- let your kids fail mm-hmm. because if you save them all the time, obviously they, you take yeah. away the opportunity for them to learn the yes. lesson. Yeah, and that doesn't help. Yeah, actually. So I think my dad was particularly good at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he gave you a kettle or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, um, there's there's lessons that I would like to improve that I'd learned from my dad. Like when when I would go overseas for six months to compete, we would shake hands at the airport. Yeah. And when I get back after six months, we shake hands again, again. to say hello, and that's it. There was no physical contact between me and my dad. Okay. Even though we liked each other and we had a good relationship, there was a it's a typical Afrikaner. Um, yeah, yeah close it's almost like off. a barrier between the two. You don't show emotion. You don't say "I love you." You don't touch each other. Yeah, you don't um, show your emotions. And I think that's probably one of my biggest um, areas that I need to work on. Yeah, um, as as a dad. Yeah. Um, so it's it's one thing to to spot that the trend that's happened and the way that I've grown up, and but it's something else to to try and change it and to to incorporate it into your own family. And do you ritualize these learnings? So I've heard a lot of the times people are sharing an insight that you've just said, okay, be more intimate, touch, show emotion, be vulnerable with your kids. You know, you're not always a superhero maybe and you can, and that helps them learn. Do you ritualize this or do you try and remind yourself somehow? How do you do it? Do you incorporate (laughs) uh, principles that you've maybe learned from your training and being an athlete into Mm. daily life and into family? That's very Mm. interesting. It is interesting. It, it feels like it's as we're going along, as we're doing this, recording this now, um, I'm trying to make mental notes as, yes, I need to incorporate this. Um, you can with, listen with, to it with, afterwards. Huh? <laughs> definitely take <laughs> notes from myself. Um, it's interesting because with my kids, we've got um, Zeno is four and a half years old yeah. and then Xander is a boy. So if Zeno is a girl, Xander is a boy, he's two and a half years old and then Zoe uh, is a girl, she's five months old. And... Um, I just feel so much love for my kids that this, like I love hugging them and wrestling with my little boy. Like he's at that age where he goes, daddy, let's, he calls it stew. The Afrikaans yeah. word is stew, means wrestling, but he says stew as in cooking. So it's really yeah. funny. So daddy, let's stew. So we love, he loves wrestling and he wants to box and he wants to ride his bicycle. So the, 
the touch. We just love cuddling in the mornings. We get, yeah, they get up ridiculously earlier and they, they all jump in the bed and we yeah. cuddle together. So it's very, it's completely different to the way I grew up. But um, I feel that the this physical touch and this um, this emotional connection is actually with my, with my wife. Yeah, that's where I that's the part I need to work on. I mean, okay. the kids has brought a lot of uh, what do you call it? This takes away your your excess um, energy and your emotions, and it takes up so much of of your daily life and your energy and your focus that my relationship with my wife is has definitely been put on the back burner and yeah. that emotional connection um after kids is definitely not the same as it was before yeah. and that's something that we we really need to work or i, 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 I need to my work my wife is fantastic she's a people's person yeah. she's one of four kids um so she's very good and she offers obviously needs this emotional um attention and this emotional connection Whereas with me, when things get difficult and when I'm stressed out and the kids are running around, um, I withdraw a little bit from from the relationship. So that's, um, I would say, probably the number one thing that I need to focus on. Yeah, I have the same. It's very easy for me to connect with the kids and mm. play and 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 roughhouse and you know do all of that. Mm. Um, and so that and they we're always overpowered in terms yeah. of outnumbered because yes. they're five, almost at the same age, pretty much, mm. and you know. If they want something, they just want, and children are a hundred percent self-centered. If yep. they want something, they will try every possible way to get it. Yes, <laughs> especially yes. young kids because they have to. It's a survival mechanism, right? Yeah, yeah. And they only learn empathy and and all of that in the later stage. And mm. so, what I try to ritualize, um, uh, putting, making effort for the relationship between us as parents. Mm in the form of uh, having date nights. Mm. And so we do a date night um, a week. In fact, it's yeah. today. And yeah. it's in the calendar, so it happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the trick. And we do one night away once a month. So we go oh, somewhere wow. to, even yes. if it's a guest house in uh, in Stellenbosch or something, <laughs> yes, you yes. know, and, and, and just lie by the pool, eat an awesome dinner and have time mm. and no kids. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and that's what we try to do. We, we, we did that's a fantastic tip um, and we did do it for a while but now that we've got the five month old she's always yeah. with us yeah I know and then the, she's with us in the bedroom so she's either breastfeeding or to me it feels like she's either breastfeeding or she's being she's sleeping or yeah. like it's difficult to have conversation because the other two kids once we put them to bed yeah like I'm so sleepy it's hard for me to stay awake um, and then I would like to spend time with my wife, like talk about how was your day. Yeah. And then that's when the baby needs to be put to bed or she's she's sleeping and so on. So yeah, it's, and then you're it's exhausted difficult. in the evening. Everybody is exhausted. Yeah. yeah, so we realize this is a phase and we're just trying to to stick it out to yeah. till this phase passes and yeah. uh, try and hold things together as best we can. That's important because you're making a foundation for your children with with your relationship. Yeah. What we did to yeah. speed up this this interaction time so that we can actually have it because in the evening you're tired and how was yeah. your day and this and this takes 10 hours mm. we literally have a check-in um, mm. just over dinner and the check-in goes somewhat um, gratitude or thank you for mm. I don't know making sure that I could go for a ride today and yeah. picking up the groceries doesn't matter yeah. something to just appreciate the other person um, personal low something mm -hmm. that happened that really wasn't cool or n not in a criticism, but that was a personal low, yeah. personal high um, horizon 
this is what's mm. coming up and it's important. Um, and then acknowledgement. I've been re trying really hard to, I don't know, clean up after myself. Mm. The other person mm. says, yeah, I can see that. Oh, wow. And it yeah. goes really quickly. And sometimes you linger on a topic um, mm. and you go, oh, okay, that's, and how is this? And, and then you carry on because of the structure. Mm. And it, it forces us to get um, to the important stuff quickly. Yeah. And everybody gets a turn. Yes. So you do check-in first and then I do check-in. That's great. And it's really nice. It's really handy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, okay, interesting. Yeah. Just keep on talking, man. I don't want to... <laughs> I want to hear from you. <laughs> Your experiences yeah. as a dad. Um, well, just on something that happened recently, we had a, a off-road triathlon that I hosted two, yeah. we two weeks ago with, um, with two partners and I'm not typically a, a, an event organizer. But What's the name of it? It's called the Caveman Cross Triathlon mm -hmm. and it was held in, in Grabau and it's um, a kilometer swim and a 20 kilometer mountain bike ride and a seven kilometer trail run. Um, but it was so awesome to have my family there. Yeah. We, we spent the weekend, it's out in Grabau, so we spent Beautiful. the weekend there, we stayed there. And the whole weekend, the kids were running like crazy, jumping in the lake and running on the grass. And I, we had these little, um, these inflatable crocodiles that we uh, used as part of the course, it's kind of a fun course. And the kids just loved playing with the crocodiles. And um, just bringing, being able to bring the family to kind of work and to, to my passion and to see how they enjoyed and integrated in, into it. Um, we had a little kids triathlon as well and, and Zina, four and a half years old, was she also did her own little triathlon and she was so proud. Nice. Um, it's interesting because she was um, she was four, four yes, she was uh, six months old. Yeah. Uh, we've been to six countries when, and so that was the last year of my professional racing was when she was born and um, so she traveled to all these countries, she went to Hawaii when she was four months old. Um, but obviously she doesn't remember any of that. And then I retired. And since then I haven't been doing a lot of sport, mostly mm. because of work and time and raising kids. I, and also having been so successful and so good at sport, it's difficult to do it at a much lower level at, at the, the moment. Yeah. So um, I haven't been much of an athlete since then. I, I do compete a little bit here and there, but it's not like a daily, a daily, it's not my lifestyle really as much as it used to be. So she didn't grow up with, with me being an athlete. Like yeah. She knows I used to be an athlete. She can see it in magazine covers or old stuff. But um, it meant so much to her to, to be able to do this little triathlon with me. And because it was the little kids, the parents had to go with them. So when they go into the water, we, we go with them and you hold them. And it wasn't the deep swim. You can just walk with the kids. Yeah, yeah. And then I would run with her when she biked and take her through all of it. And it was so, so fun to see how she laughed and enjoyed it. And when she got the medal at the finish, she was so excited. And yeah, that's it's amazing. It's a really cool thing. And I think it's also such an important part of our family and who we are. Um, sport, something, the way I grew up and also the way my wife grew up and we would, the way we'd like to bring our family up. <clears throat> my wife was a, a netball player. She was the captain of the Protea, the South African netball team okay. for four years. And she, um, she, raced, she competed in New Zealand and played netball there mm -hmm. professionally. So we both come from sporting backgrounds and um, to us it's very important because you learn so many life skills through sport. Um, what you put in is what you get out, perseverance, um, suffering, um, connecting with other people, playing by the rules. Um, there's so many things that you can learn through sport and um, having our kids be excited about it um, yeah. is, is really cool because when, when our kids were born, a lot of people were joking. They go, are you... 
the parents are such athletes, but the kids are gonna probably gonna be pianists or a mathematician or mm. so, like sometimes yeah. nature deals you a card, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we laughed, we laughed, <laughs> laughed about it and thought it was really funny, but um, it is crazy how how they seem to really love just playing outside and yeah. and doing doing the stuff that that's that's that, that we also grew up with. I find it interesting that you say I used to be an athlete because. In my mind, you're very much still an athlete. It's a, it's a mindset to an mm -hmm. extent to be able to put yourself through, in your sport, for instance, through the suffering and yeah. to commit to that kind of time and to that repetitive work that you have mm -hmm. to put in all the time yeah. is very much a mindset and you don't lose that from, from making a transition. Can mm -hmm. you talk a bit about this transition we talked about earlier? Mm -hmm. So when... so. Just for context, you competed for 24 years, if I get it right? Uh, as a professional. 25? So when I, when I matriculated, when I finished high school, yeah. I turned professional. And from then, I did 24 years 24 of professional years. racing. So it's not counting the years before. Okay, yeah. So, But when I get it, so you competed more for like 30, 35 years. I retired something. at 41 years. And when you, you retired pretty much coinciding with the birth of your first child. Is that yeah, correct? That's right. And how was that transition? Because it'll be interesting for other men mm. and moms who make mm. who are in a transition phase where life changes pretty drastically mm. when kids come. And in your instance, I can imagine um, it changed exponentially drastically because you made a career change at the same time. Mm. And you said earlier, you didn't know what you're going to be or what you're going to do or, yeah. you know... It was all rational stuff or maybe not. And then there's a yeah. kid suddenly, so there must yeah. have been uncertainty. And yeah, it's it's a massive change. Um, typically when triathletes or no, when, when athletes retire from professional sports and they just become normal people, <laughs> it's typically a massive, massive psychological shock yeah. and shift. And I've heard it from all kinds of uh, areas and also from athletes, like from friends of mine who retire and just struggling with the retirement itself. So coinciding that with the child was it was just it was massive. It was hard to to put a finger on it. It's difficult to say, yes, it was stopping racing um that felt different or it was having a child that felt different. Um so I can't pinpoint what it was, but I'll try and talk talk you through it, how it how it happened. Um so over the twenty four years that I was racing, I spent six months in the northern hemisphere and six months in the southern hemisphere. So over the twenty four years I had basically 48 summers back to back. So when we when we had our first child was also my last year of racing. So we planned it. Um, we, we only married, got married when my wife was 35 and I was 37. So we spent five years, just, just the two of us yeah. traveling and racing and so on. And we, we decided to start a family and we could see other athletes had children and still competed. So we thought, how, how hard could it be? <laughs> 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 I could have told you. <laughs> yes, and but when when the babies are that small, you can they stra travel pretty easily, and yeah. we actually had a fantastic time traveling with with Sina. She was really good traveling and training when there was only only one child. It, yeah, it looked easy. in hindsight, it, it's easy. At yeah. the time, it was quite difficult, but thankfully, my wife is exceptional. She's really really good mother, so she's really. I think women are not only predisposed naturally to be caring and motherly and to nurture and so on but I think my wife is she's really special in, in that way so I'm very thankful for it um, but when when I stopped racing at the end of that season the reason I retired was mostly because of sponsorship and um, I was planning on doing it an, another year after that 
and sponsorship started slowing down. And I thought it was, first I thought it was just me, I'm older now and I wasn't winning as many races as I did before. And I realized it was a global phenomenon of sponsorship shutting down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I retired a year earlier than I probably would have. Um, and in hindsight, it's also, I was thankful for it because if a child is one and a half or two years old, it gets very, very difficult to to travel and to stay in hotels and to, to do homestays and so on. Um, but to came back from the retiring thing, um, so we settled in South Africa. Um, I had a green card at the time. Uh, I've had it for six years. And I surrendered my green card, sent it back to the States. Oh, really? Yep. Why? Um, I want to live in South Africa. Okay. So that was really interesting is uh, to get a green card, you need massive documentation. Yeah. I, I, was, I got my green card for um, the official title was non-resident alien with extraordinary abilities. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's, that's my title here. Only you call it exceptional skills and a foreign uh, citizen. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So it took massive amounts of paperwork and legal work to be able to, to get that green card. But to yeah. surrender it was probably the easiest thing I've ever done. It was just a one-page thing. Uh, and they asked me, what's the reason for surrendering I'm it? Out. And I said, I would like to live in South Africa with my family. Boom. So this is where I grew up. We both love South Africa. This is our paradise. Yeah. So we, South we, Africa we needs to hear this at these times. For yes. Sure. And this was 2014. Mm-hmm. So... Um, this is this is our paradise, and we want to raise off our kids here. Mm-hmm. That's good. So to me, it was the first winter I've had in 24 years. Was was here in South Africa, so it was really awesome to be able to experience this full season with this new child um, and with this new life. But what was difficult was was firstly not racing, but also having having a child. Yeah, and the stress it puts on you. Um, was the relationship affected? Uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, the stress. Um, to me, I, I think the hardest part to me was as an athlete racing and competing, your life has very highs and very big lows and you work towards massive goals. Um, even not just racing, but also workouts, like certain workouts or key workouts where you really have to psych up for it. And um, emotionally, um, uh, probably your pheromone or your hormones and stuff, as you focus for these big things, it goes up. And you, when you have massive disappointment, when you get a flat tire or even you break an yeah. arm or something at a massive competition life is really happening all the time where it's felt like when I was at home and it was just this baby and she's crying and it, then it's a nappy and then it's a bottle and then it's more crying it, it felt like just day and night every day after day flat. felt yeah. the same the emotions was just flat the whole time yeah where I was used to these massive ups and downs and all these traveling to these exquisite places and just it was and very, how did you deal with difficult. that? Did you start meditating or <laughs> did you start running in circles or swimming here in the pool? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, you had to change your whole persona, didn't you? In terms of not only did yeah. you have much more time together as a mm. relationship because yeah. uh, 10 hours in a saddle is very different than sitting at home and caring for the baby and doing the yeah. nappies over and over. Yeah, also That's with your wife, but also with yourself you had mm. to change, right? Because you're spending different time in a different circumstance with yourself all of yeah. a sudden, yeah. where there's someone who's completely dependent yes. on you. Yeah, there's, um, I found that if I had, had just one day a week, or yeah. maybe even one every second week, like at, at, the, at the most difficult times, if I, I told my wife, if, you can, if I can have just one morning every second week, um, my hobby is, is motorbikes. Um, I enjoy off-road motorbikes, enduro bikes riding in the mountain. If I can just go out for two hours and, and ride, then I'll come back 
a new person. Yeah. And it's interesting when I was listening to some of your podcasts from earlier that the, the testosterone spikes that you get when you do something with adrenaline, apparently yeah. adrenaline spikes. So I learned something from your podcast last night yeah. already. And it, uh, now I understand it is if I can just go out and, and do what I used to do, which is adrenaline and physical exercise and mental challenge and being on my own. Yeah. I, love, I really enjoyed being on my own. <laughs> yeah, same um, here. Quiet time and so on. And I'll come back and I'll be a new person and I'll be able to stick it out for another week or and two. And did she get it? Did your wife get it? And did she let you? Yeah, she did. Okay, but yeah, she's wasn't also always easy, but because um, yeah. yeah, she she let, she let me do it, and I've got four four motorbikes in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked <laughs> about she it. <laughs> grudgingly let me have, but she knows that that's my my hobby and my passion at the moment, yeah. and and it's important for me, and it's it's, it's the same with her. Um, yeah, it's important to have a hobby and a passion and something that you can do outside of the kids, just to to bring you back to to who you are and and what it, you love. It is important because you also need to recharge. You can't, yeah. if you give yourself up completely in your own persona and your own hobbies and everything, you just, if you burn yourself, mm. you know, what's the point? Like, no yeah. one benefits from that. So you need that on time. Yeah, and I also yeah. don't like the person I become when I feel like that I I'm, get grumpy and I get short with the kids and I lose my temper. Like I used to hardly ever lose my temper. And now with if I don't get to go out and if yeah. I'm stressed with the kids, next thing I'll say something and that I'll regret and I'll, have to apologize to the kids. I didn't mean to say that and so on. So yeah. do you do that? You apologize to your kids? Yes, it's yeah. easy. I do it Fortunately, it's easy to say sorry. Um, yeah. It doesn't fix things immediately. I, no. I thought like if you say sorry, everything is fine again and yeah. it isn't necessarily. So there's obviously a path that you have to go down um, after that, but it's pretty easy to say to say sorry. It helps. Um, for me, it helps a lot because the now like the Maya and Lena, my twins, they're a yeah. bit older. They're four and a half. Mm. And they actually understand it. Mm. So they say, okay, no, go away. <laughs> okay, so it, it means <laughs> that they're actually understanding the, the type of interaction I'm trying to seek because yeah. I made a mistake. Yeah. Okay, so you made the switch and you said there was too much uh, excess energy <laughs> and now mm. you're building trails and you're putting your expertise to 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 that new passion, right? Because it, can you talk about yeah. that? So what came after the athlete and suddenly there was children and you were, told me earlier you were yeah. thinking about picking up a different career and what happened yeah kind of while i was still racing a coffee shop idea landed in my lap mm -hmm. one of my sponsors gave me an opportunity to open a coffee shop and to to run the caveman cafe um, which i did but we didn't my wife and i didn't really talk it through or go through what it would take to have a coffee shop and a, a new baby and a new life so we started with the coffee shop and it actually was a lot of stress um Like my wife baking cookies in the kitchen at 10 o'clock at night with the baby like on the on the yeah, counter no and the baby in the coffee shop and it wasn't a choice we we made it landed in my lap and i took it which in hindsight was, was wasn't a great idea and i had a couple of different um ideas that i wanted to do post post racing like starting a clothing brand and doing an energy bar and doing online coaching and i had all these different business ideas that i was thinking of doing And I was telling a really good friend of mine who's, who's quite good at business, I was telling him all my ideas. And halfway through my story, he stopped me and he said, but what's your passion? And it really shocked me because my whole life, my passion was, was sport and racing and competing and, and being the best I can be. What, the passion? Yeah. So 
my whole life racing and sports and performing and getting the most, most out of my body was, was my passion. And when I retired, I didn't really that when I retired, I actually really retired from sport. I was really happy with what I'd achieved through the sport, but also I've had enough in terms of the training and the stress and the pain, the massive amounts of pain and, and commitment that you had to go through to be an, an athlete. I was like, I wasn't looking back and, and wanting that again. Like when I finished my career, I was happy to finish and shut it off and just ride for fun and do little bits of events, fun here and there, but not, nothing seriously. So, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly you're stuck with the coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's about, sorry about following the passion. So yeah. I didn't really know what my new passion was. I was 41 years old and I was lucky enough to, to, to be able to start a new career. I've had a, a fantastic career, which I really enjoyed. And I, I saw amazing things and I achieved things that I'm very proud of. Um, and I had the second part of second half of my life that I could choose what I wanted to do. And I didn't really think it through in terms of what is my passion and what would I really like to do? Because I realized then that the, if you follow your passion, like I had with sports, then you, it's, it's very easy to give 110%. It's very easy to commit. It's very easy to suffer and to put everything into it. Like if you follow your passion, you um, work is not really work. Like my athletic career was was work right so there's a business part to it and there's a racing and a mental part there's lots of different parts to it but because i enjoyed it so much it never felt like work it felt like i was playing but it's 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 very difficult for people everybody says this mm. you're one of the very few people i know that mm. seem to have managed to find this yep. passion and to follow it also mm -hmm. is you need to be brave to do that and you need to firstly find what it mm. is And it, uh, I read a statistic actually two days ago. 80% of people, this is in the US, but it will be mm. similar in, in Northern Europe, I guess, yeah. or here also. 80% of people are not enjoying what they work. Mm. And so it's yeah. super difficult. Exactly. Can you translate this to being a dad? How Do you have strategies, even if it's in your mind, mm. how you're going to try and teach your children this insight that you've just shared? You know, it's very abstract for a four-year-old. Yeah. yeah. But maybe it is how you want to run activities with them. Maybe it is how you want to school them. Maybe it is stance mm -hmm. on. Can you? Do you have something for that? I don't. Uh, well, we don't have a. I think as you as you realize up to in our discussion, I don't really have a like a plan or a program. I, I'm more of a person, kind of person who follows my heart. Yeah. Like I followed my heart in the sport, and it took me first to the sports at the primary school and then to road triathlon through the Olympic Games. And then after the Olympic Games, I became bored of road triathlon. So I did the off-road triathlon. So I literally just followed my passion. And it's the same with my work. And hopefully my kids will see it in me and also the way we interact with them. Yeah. Is to follow exactly their that. passion. If, yeah. they, if they enjoy something, like I said, my wife and I were both high-level athletes, but with our little kids, they're learning to swim now. So we've, we've got swim school and they've got, The one has um, like a gymnastics, she's learning just the beginning of gymnastics. But our theory is if the kids enjoy what they do and they want to do it, we foster it and we give them the skills and enable them to do it. But if they're not enjoying it, then we back off. So we don't want to push kids to do stuff that they I don't want to do. I was going to ask, yeah. So you don't, uh, so one dad, for instance, told me 
Kids can try out whatever they want. Mm. Uh, actually, actually, amazing triathlete uh, mm. James Lawrence. Mm, okay. He did uh, the 50, yes. 50, 50, 50 Ironman in 50 American states in 50 consecutive days. Yeah. And I asked him a similar thing. So I said, okay, how do you do? You teach grit, or do you? Can you? Mm. What do you do with your kids in that sense? And he said, um, they can try out whatever they want, mm. and they can do the sport as long as they want and stop whenever they want. The only thing they have to do until they're like, I don't know, 14 or 15, they have to play the piano and they have to take lessons on that. And sometimes they enjoy it more and sometimes less. And it's just, and his wife's, it's also very important for his wife. Mm. And it's just so they can learn that sometimes you have to stick it out. Okay. So I wanted to ask you if you, if they can jump in and out of any sport, because you know, kids, yeah. obviously you try stuff out and, but do you then learn to stick it out sometimes also when it's not convenient? And when I, it's not fun always. That is a big mystery to me. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea how, I haven't formulated a plan. My kids, like yeah. I said, only two and four. But I've seen through my career how parents, the pressure from parents can, can ruin break, kids, yeah. break kids. Yeah. Um, especially 100%. swimming swimming parents are famous for this and tennis, and tennis parents <laughs> yeah. are famous for, for parents living their dream, dreams through the kids. Yeah. And um, both my wife and I feel really passionate about this is to teach little kids yeah. learn skills and they learn very, very easily. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how kids pick up stuff just yeah. naturally crazy. or by watching you or just by experimenting. Um, and then we'd like kids to, not just our kids, but also when people ask me to coach their little kids at school or cycling mm. or whatever, or swimming, I said, teach the kids um, the technique while they're small and to learn new skills and all kinds of different sports and just have fun playing, but also so they can learn to love sport mm. and to embrace it and to become, to learn lessons through like teamwork and... The Teaching the technique when small is what age? Six, eight, no, or four? four? Anything. I mean, my two, I mean, my two and a half year old rides a two-wheel bicycle, like a pedal bicycle. Yeah. And oh, really? It's not because I pushed him. It's just he was good at it. Yeah. Like he picked it up and he just, like we started him on a little strider where he just rode everywhere yeah. around the stoop. Yeah, you can see our, feet, yeah. our house here. We literally yeah. built the house so that the kids can can play on this one level on outside on the stoop and in the house. Yeah. The kids cycle in the house. Yeah. Um, and he was, he just <laughs> loved cycle it. cycle in the house in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he just naturally progressed to it where our four-year-old Zina, she, like even though I did push her around on the little bike, she yeah. didn't really embrace it as much and she only started riding a two-wheel bike at like just around four, four okay. years old mm -hmm. where she taught herself. So we don't push them into into the stuff. I think they naturally gravitate towards things that they're good at. And so this two-year-old of ours, um, like he's on the balance board and he's on the jumping castle and he's rides his bicycle. So he's de developing skills. And if we can teach him, like if I see on the trampoline, he's trying to, to do a forward roll, but he's not doing his ducking in his neck properly. I'll teach yeah, him. Okay. It's like, okay, That's so when you mean. do this, yeah. then I have a teachable moment and I'll try and improve his, his skill, like teach him something, but I'm not going to give him a, What's a, a teachable a moment. It's when, when you see when they're doing something wrong or incorrectly, or if you can, you can teach them something, then I, I stop everything. And I was like, okay, so see, when you get into the situation, this is how you, balance the bike or this is the front brake or this is the back brake or um, so you, you make sure to teach um, to teach a, like we'll play and yeah. then just use a moment to teach teach him a skill and then just continue playing and yeah. um, hopefully that moment is captured and from there on they'll 
It's like a playful way of teaching yeah, in of, a sense of learning, of, of learning through fun. You combine exactly combining learning and. Do you yeah. have visualization skills? A different topic <laughs> just came up. Yeah, um, not for parenting. In my sporting career, it was yeah. massive. Um, Maybe we can translate it. Yeah, What, can you talk I, about I, this? It was massive. It was that first year when I turned professional at the age of 17, My mom sent me on a course. It was a six six or eight week course. I can't remember. Um, learning mental skills mm -hmm. and it made a massive difference in my career and I was so thankful for it and towards the end of my career I got a little bit lazy and I wasn't really into it like I should have been because um, I got a little bit complacent Yeah. but some of the things I'd learned was I remember I grew up really shy and really with, withdrawn like only child I spoke pretty much only Afrikaans and we traveled down to, to I grew up in, in Pretoria We traveled down to Gordon's Bay for the first African Championships, and I was, I think I was 18 years old. Road triathlon, this is. Road triathlon. Yeah. And um, then the evening before the race, I was in the walking through the hotel foyer, and one of the local triathletes from here in English was like very well known, respected athlete, asked me, Conrad, what are you doing here? And it after having done this visualization with where typically I would have um, said something different. I opened my mouth and I said, I'm here to win, <laughs> which completely shocked me. It's amazing. A, when I opened my mouth, it fell out without even me saying any of it or thinking of it beforehand. I was shocked and I actually did win. Then it was my first big win. The next day I won the race. And that I'd learned through the visualization and the affirmations that I'd learned through this course. So what are they? You can put yourself into a different mindset and you actually alter your mindset for the next day and the yeah. months and years and there's a lot of different um, techniques and I'll take take you quickly through some of them so the visual visualization is when you learn a, a, for example you learn a new mountain bike course um, then obviously you go watch the course and you ride the course and then when you see an obstacle you see in your head um, when you like I'll, you'll, you'll be in, in bed or somewhere quiet and think about see yourself how you approach this obstacle and how you clear it and how you go really fast and you'll hear the wind through your ears and you can smell the forest and you can try and bring as many senses as possible into this visualization where you see yourself um, achieving or executing this task at the optimal level um, so I'll actually, I would go through the entire race before, before the race, a couple of days before I'll go through the entire thing. I'll know exactly what time I would need to be at the race venue, what I would have eaten, where I would drag my bike, what the transition area would look out, look like, um, what my warm up um, routine would be, what time I need to do what. And then also obviously through the race from the moment the gun goes, I would visualize before and I would already have a mental strategy. When I'm suffering, I'm going to think about a certain thing so that by the time you come into the race and you're suffering, you don't want your mind to start freewheeling and thinking about random stuff. So I would visualize what I would be thinking about then I would visualize uh, technical, um, like my, say, swimming stroke or running form or whatever. Um, and then obviously you would want to visualize the best outcome that you prepared for. Obviously, if you're wanting to win, then you visualize winning the race. And I remember, like at the end of visualization, I would be, I would have to put on a new shirt because I was sweaty from, and I would have an elevated heart rate from just lying in bed and thinking and living myself into this race. And the more you can live, live the moment, like feel and hear, um, 
and experience the event, the more vivid it becomes and it easier it becomes to to achieve it when you when you're in the competition itself. Um, another really te- uh, good technique that we used was say for example I would have a mental um, game plan prepared. Say you're in Richmond, Virginia, and it's 90 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's 80 degrees humidity, and you're suffering, and it's hot, and you've got blisters. I would have a mental game prepared, where for a little while I would think about something that's totally different from where I'm at. Um, It would be, for example, a cheetah running in slow motion at high speed, and I would see the cheetah's body flowing like waves, and you can see the sand kicked up by its feet, and you can see its tail whip and I would just visualize this cheetah running for a little while and then I would switch <clears throat> to something different for example my pace am I going hard enough am I eating or drinking like I should be eating I look over my shoulder to see if there's someone chasing or am I catching so I'll be in the moment and and taking stock of where the race is at the time and then I would switch to something because it would be really hot I would switch to a cool stream on our farm. There's um, this beautiful little stream with a, a big wild fig tree and the stream runs under it and it's all green and leafy and cool and I can hear the water and I can feel the cool water and the coolness. So I'll just try and hear and see and smell and feel all this. This is my happy place on the farm, right? So I'll put myself there for a little while. So it's kind of this dissociation. And then from there on, if you're able to think of nothing, which is the Zen mode. I mean, if you could... That's a Tory. If you, can, if you can go into peak performance mode is where you don't think or yeah. about anything and it just happens and it's just flow. And it's not easy to put yourself into flow state uh, on purpose. Um, but the more you practice this, and I found that this little routine would often guide me towards that peak state of performance and it's easier through suffering or at the when you're at the peak of your expertise and you're executing the more you practice this the easier it will become because of the crazy amount of pain and the amount of things that goes on around you especially in a technical event where you have to watch for rocks and you go through mud and so on it's difficult to think about nothing the whole time yes Um, especially if you're being chased by someone and you can see him coming and it's difficult to separate your mind, but it's probably one of the best lessons I've I learned. Um, because of the extra, I was, I was quite dominant in the sport for a long time. And in the beginning, it was fantastic to be the best athlete and to, to be the guy who wins most of the races. But after a few years, it became a massive burden and I really hated being that person to look over their shoulder the whole, the whole time. Like I was everyone's target. I didn't have a target. Like I was just trying to beat everyone else as opposed to being the guy who chase, yes. to, to chase. And it was very hard. And I actually started not enjoying racing because I was afraid of losing. And I was racing to not lose as opposed to just trying to do my best and to achieve peak performance and to execute optimally. And I made a, a conscious, conscious shift from being the guy who runs scared, who looks over his shoulder to, I, I love the sport. I love what I do. This is, I'm in Hawaii or I'm in Alabama or I'm in Italy or Japan in these incredible locations. And I do something that I'm good at and I'm doing something that I, I enjoy and I make a good living from it. So all of these positive things um, added up that I really enjoyed what I was doing. And just brings us back to the passion again. Um, if I could, if I would pursue those things, 
and I would obviously prepare as well as I could and execute as well as I could, the result would come that I deserved. Yes. Like with my genetics and with my training and my preparation and my equipment, all of that package would give me the result that I needed. If there was five guys faster than me, then I would get six and that's fine. Yeah. If I'm the best guy, then I'd win and that's fine. So it's not so much about winning or losing or looking after my over my shoulder. It's more about executing and pushing myself to my limits and it, yeah, it's making the, the most of, of what I have. And, and so I do think there are, yeah. thank you for sharing that. It is amazing insight. Yeah. And so I do think there are a lot of uh, parallels to being a father or being mm. a parent where you can visualize, you can be very intentional, you can mm. prepare, you can learn, mm. you can speak uh, to other uh, parents, you can read books and then you need mm. to execute and you need to stick mm. with it. Mm. And I think that these are, without trying to construct things, you can still see a lot of perils. I can still see a lot of perils to, to being a dad. Because sure. that's also yeah. an endurance kind of race. You do it for a long time. There will be suffering in the in the mm. in the translated sense where okay, on a, on a, not on a, maybe not so much on a physical level, but yeah. there's difficult times. There's great times. There's and so these techniques to an extent, mm. I think, could lend uh, support in those. Situations. That's very very interesting. I never thought about it this way. Yeah, um, I'm definitely after the show. I'll take some more yeah. notes from you. <laughs> Because <laughs> because I joke when people when people go oh you've got another child and I yeah. I would joke and say well I thought I was used to an endurance sport but this is an endurance this sport endurance, all by yeah. itself yeah because nobody sleeps a lot and everyone you is can't tired. clock out you can't clock you out. Can't clock out you can but it's not really beneficial yeah and so that's that's so I think there's a lot of parallels I'd be stupid not to take the skills that I learned as an exactly. athlete and apply to to uh, raising kids. That's very insightful. Yeah, and your visualization is is an amazing uh, tool that you have. Yeah. And uh, do you mm. literally like when you visualize a race? Do you visualize for the entirety of the race as it will take place? Do you, does it take three yeah. hours for you to do the visualization, or do you do it in fifteen minutes? Well, obviously the sections where you just have to pedal, pedal, pedal. You yeah, yeah. You kind of speed it, speed it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it would take about half an hour okay. to, to run through all race I've seen I've seen that before I've heard about it yeah. actually many times um, and I read it on uh, the book called uh, Dan Millman um, he is a the book is called the author is called Dan Millman the book is called I forget the book he's, he wrote um, Peaceful Warrior but this is for particularly for athletes mm. uh, he is the or he used he's also an Olympic athlete and he mm. was the Uh, coach for the American team, for instance, mm. he's a world champion in trampoline and mm. and athletics, and um, he said something that I've really really found impactful. You can also visualize the failure. Of so course, you he, have yeah, to. Yeah, 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 I didn't know. So he said, um, someone that he was coaching was she was amazing in athletics on the, on the bar, high bar, mm. but she was visualizing this one particular routine. Um, where she fell and she couldn't mm. get past the, she couldn't master the routine. She yeah. was always falling. And yeah. finally he found out, okay, she is visualizing how she falls. And then she, of course she falls. Yeah. And when he told her, and when they changed that, 
suddenly she was excelling at this particular routine. Yeah. I think, oh, that's oh, amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So Why do you say you it, have to um, visualize failure? Yeah, I would often visualize, or I would always visualize something like, okay, you're in a race, you get a flat tire. Mm. What do you do? Like, if you're not mentally prepared for it, people, they throw their bike or they think, oh, my race is over or they panic and they uh, waste the CO2 canister, like don't get the air into the tire yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I would visualize, okay, if I get a flat tire, Firstly, I'm going to assess how big is the hole. Is it a big one or a small one? Then I know how I would fix it. Then I would visualize, okay, so I'll pull over and I'll use the, the plug that I need to plug the tire with and I'll be calm and I'll take deep breaths and I'll use the time to recover. And then I use the CO2 to inflate the tire. And at the same time, you'll kind of keep note how many athletes come by so you know where you are. So I would literally go through every kind of scenario, whether you get a flat tire or whether you take a fall, like when you yeah. fall, what do you think about? A lot of people get really freaked out and they think, oh, the race is over, but you can still, I've won races after fixing flats, I've won a race after fixing a chain, um, I've won races once with falls in the middle of it. So you, you make a mental game plan of when I fall, sure, check, is something broken? <laughs> Are you bleeding badly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you fix the bike and just carry on? And Do you also prepare yourself for, is there only one outcome in your mind? Can you only win or do you say, okay, we, um, we had a flat, we're going to lose, I don't know, 30 minutes, something really bad happens, something mm -hmm. breaks and you cannot win anymore, but you're still enjoying the race because you are allowing a plan B Or is there only plan A you can only win? <laughs> I only did plan A. <laughs> <laughs> Flat out only. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I did okay. only plan A. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because my friend Stephen, he just did a, you know Stephen, hey? he just yes. did this, uh, what's it called, Sky Crusher, or some crazy race where they, for three days, they, what was it? It's what was now, like four weeks ago. Bone uh, something. Bone Crusher. Bone Crusher, know. is it? And they had a flat. Yeah. They were really, really trained so hard and they had a flat on the, second day i think mm -hmm. and then they had another flat and like you just said all the people came past him and he was like yeah you know usually everything would have been ruined yes and then he realized okay but let me find a way how i can still enjoy the race mm. and then suddenly it was the scenery and it was the experience with his yes. friend jeroen and they did this together and then yes. it was a whole you're self-sufficient for three days i think and you yes. do you sleep and you race you sleep and you race and you do it three days okay and so they couldn't win anymore but they were still yeah. i mean they still placed really well and then he looked at his results in a different manner so he would say okay on the first day we placed here on the mm. second day i discount whatever placement because of yeah. what happened and then on the third day we really placed really well as well so suddenly yeah. it was a just looking at the outcome in a different way mm. um, because you'd frame it differently and I found that really impactful because yeah, often it doesn't go the way you want to and you just, you, life carries yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, and he, he got to experience the race in different ways. Like if yeah. you're seriously competing on day one and three but day two you were with a different crowd and like you said you could yeah. enjoy the views or enjoy the trails. It is different but I mean the racing was my career. Like I needed to of earn course. a living from it yeah. and you've got a sponsorships and obligations and yeah. uh, reputation um, did you tell the sponsors that they have to uh, give you money because otherwise next weekend you're gonna have to win to <laughs> eat again from, from <laughs> during the week i was fortunate where uh, like i said the first 10 years of my career i went from hand to mouth yeah, yeah. and it was 10 years 10 eh? years yeah wow um, and then i i found xterra discovered yeah. this off-road triathlon and it was a niche but i in the first year I uh, 
I had to borrow bikes. I didn't have a mountain bike yeah. in the States. So I would borrow a mountain bike before every, every race. <laughs> and they break. The first season. Yeah. yeah, and it was funny bikes and it was heavy bikes and so on. But I really loved the sport and I excelled at it. And at the end of the season, the first year I won a world title. Yeah. And so it went from struggling, sleeping on benches. Yeah, of course. To being able to like fully sponsored. I literally, when you win a world title at that kind of level, then sponsorship is good and people want to associate with you. So I must admit that the second half of my career, or not half, two thirds, second two thirds of my career was amazing in terms of sponsorship and being able to earn a good living and and so on. So I was very thankful for it. Mm. Cool, man. Yeah. We're at uh, pretty much an hour. Is there mm. anything that's, uh, no rush, but just, yeah. is there anything that you've, Feel that you want to share or that you want to discuss or with other for other dads and moms that you just find is important to your heart and to your mm. mind. So, yeah, it feels like I said. It feels like I'm still a rookie with with three kids. It's it's a massive learning curve, and it's when the kids are small, it feels really difficult. Um, but I think if you just persevere and stick through it and make sure that you do the basic things right. Um, that you can it's such a massive uh, responsibility taking when, especially when we had our first child I realized man we're responsible for this child's entire future you can do a good job or you can do a medium job or you can do a terrible job and it's going to impact this child and it's literally the biggest responsibility I've ever had and it's also the most challenging and the hardest thing I've ever done um, being responsible for, for these children and raising them and shaping their future. And it was, to me, a massive wake-up call in terms of where I stand with my wants and my needs and my hobbies and my life as opposed to these kids that this is the beginning of, of their entire lives ahead of them. Yep. And it was super, super humbling to, <laughs> to step into that. And it's um, I would say it's the number one thing in life that you that we have to focus on. About a, a year ago, I did this fantastic course. It's, uh, it's a Christian course, course called um, The World Needs a Father. And it has um, had a massive, massive impact on, on how I raise my kids and how I see the family. And day one, the first, first thing um, they, sent, uh, they said homework, homework for today is um, we have to apply emotional intelligence at home. And... <laughs> when my friends weren't looking I took my phone out and I had to google emotional intelligence <laughs> <laughs> and when the wiki explanation came up I realized that was the shortcoming the one shortcoming in my relationship with my wife and my kids is emotional intelligence and I think the way I grew up like I said Afrikaans single child single sport um, just for me personally that one thing will solve I would say 90% of the difficulties in my relationship with my wife and with my kids. And um, I must admit, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever tried to do is to emotionally um, really connect. Um, and it's, been a, it's been a challenge. Definitely, I would try and do that as, as well as possible. Thank you. That's very powerful. Yep. Interesting story. <laughs> so uh, two, two of my friends invited me to this, to this talk. It was an eight-week eight course, and it was massively impactful, really, really cool course. I would really um, recommend it to anyone. The world needs a father. 
day one. Um, it's here in Stellenbosch. So I know these two guys, but there was a bunch, probably about 25 people. And we all get introduced. And within the first five minutes, um, they introduce us to the course. And uh, anyway, long, long story short, I get home. And my wife asks me, so who was there? And I said, oh, Dylan was there and Daniel was there. And then they, I met these two new guys from Somerset West. And there was this one black guy who looks like a bit of an athlete. Um, his name is Sia. At the end of the yeah. course, he, he, <laughs> this guy just came around to all of us, every single person, and he put out his hand and he gave everyone a firm handshake and said, hello, my name is Sia. Yeah. And his confidence was just mind-blowing. I mean, just, When was this? It's last year. Okay. <clears throat> like you can see, we don't own a TV. I haven't yeah, owned yeah. a TV since 2004. My wife, when we met, she also didn't have a TV. I don't follow rugby. Mm. So... I got home and I told my wife about this guy. He looks like an athlete. His name is Sia. Mm -hmm. And she goes on Google. She goes, it's, it's not Sia Kulisi, is it? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a, a course with Sia Kulisi over eight weeks. And like I said, I had no idea who he was. Yeah. People see him as a rugby captain and this was before the World Cup. I just saw him as a guy doing this course with us. Yes. And the leadership and the amazing, amazing person that just beamed out of him was, you see, I really get goosebumps. Um, I would love to have him on the podcast, he, especially in to. South Africa. Yeah, he's so busy now. I've tried. <coughs> I can imagine. I've tried. His wife does all his bookings. Okay. And yeah, he's so busy now after they won the World Cup. We've tried before, actually, before, before they won. the World Cup. And then they had to train and they had to go to Japan and whatever. And yeah. now they won. And he's so, so, so much in demand that he I just can can't. And the sponsors are now also... Uh, more aware of his time, or more in, yeah, more yeah. protective. You did yeah. the right movement there. I think if you if you give time. it some time, hopefully, yeah. it'll because come I mean he's an amazing, interesting persona in terms of fatherhood, <sighs> because he has. He, I think he's he's adopted his siblings or yes. half siblings, yes, to get them out of their situation, and then yes. obviously in a South African context, he's married a white woman, yes, and they have children together, so Rainbow Nation, yes, and. You know, besides his athletic achievements, it's just amazing to. He was what really, really struck me was how humble and how open he was. Like he, he was, he sat in the front row, right in the middle. In the first five minutes, when the presenter said, "Welcome, tea time is at nine o'clock. The toilets are there. Are we about to kick off? Do you have any questions?" And he sat, he sat right in the front and he said, "Yes, can we please open with prayer?" So he was really just open and upfront and warm. Um, And when it came to sharing experiences, like we were pretty much all strangers, hardly anyone knew it, the others in there. And he, like I said, he said front row center. And when it was time to share, he really shared like deep, heavy um, stuff that very, he really put himself in a vulnerable position whenever he, he could. And it was really eye-opening it was amazing to experience um you know people are underestimated but the the things that you've talked about now mm. and that all the other that shared in their mm. own ways and in their mm. own stories mm. are very impactful it's very mm. impactful and very powerful it helps mm. a lot of people because i get the feedback on on digitally yeah. and in person and it's it's small things that you don't even think about you'd be like yeah, yeah but i never thought about visualization in the sense that it can help me and my family yeah but it can and it's a uh, You frame it in the right context, suddenly there's very, very powerful stuff that yeah. And also we're going with friends, we're going through the same growing family thing. Yeah. And I told my friend that one child is a massive shock. 
yeah. to the system. It's 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 big time. It's serious. And uh, so they had their first child, and he's like, y- you know, you're right. <laughs> it was a massive shock. And then when we had our second child, I told him, Yo, one plus one is not two. Yeah. Two, ch- two kids are much, much harder than one child because <laughs> the eldest one becomes the daddy's issue, right? So yeah, the yeah. daddy has to take the eldest and because the mom is nurturing the small one. Um, That's funny. I had the same. I got the, so, so to speak, yeah. got the twins because they were the oldest. Yeah. And I can't breastfeed. So my wife yes. had the triplets. So, you know, like, yeah. had the triplets sounds like, she was like fully fully occupied with yes, the triplets well, because obviously breastfeeding three <laughs> like, yes. it's done yeah. and it's awarded me the amazing opportunity to be so close to the triplet uh, to the mm. twins yeah the triplets i had to fight much harder to to gain that relationship mm. that mm. With, with the twins they kind of focused in on me because my yeah. wife was more on the triplets so yes. they were like oh okay okay daddy is the next one yes, yes. and 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 that was really amazing for me so i think there's also a lot of opportunity in being able to bond with that first one mm. as a father yes yeah yes but the, when he came back and thanked me he said like nobody told us it's going to be hard like gave they give you the books to read yeah. and you go to the nappy school and how they give you all the how to's but the uh, the shock to of course, it's hard. To what it takes and how no hard it is. No one prepared him for it. He said, not his own parents, not his friends. Yeah. No one else. So um, I think it's important for, for dads to stick together and, and give each other these upfront and honest advice. It is. That's what we're doing here. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked the session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.